Welcome to the Assembly of Yahweh Sermon Podcast. We're so glad you're here. For more information, you can visit hallelujah.org or download the AOI app on Apple or Google Play. Good morning. How in the world are you? I'd like to welcome each and every one of you to the Feast of Tabernacles. I'm so glad that you've come to be with us. You know, with all the hype, this has been an interesting year with all the hype of the COVID, the bad economy, no feast of unleavened bread, the riots, the trying to shut down our churches, and then our own assembly strange flow of events. So I'm looking very much forward to this feast day and the ones that come after this. I'd like to also thank each and every one of the people that made this feast possible, the hard work that's been put into preparation. And then I would, yeah, let's give them a hand. And I'd also want to thank all the people that put a lot of effort and, and work into actually coming here. Because I know how hard it is to leave your own home. And, uh, you know, Yahweh said he would attend to your home while you're away, by the way. He will take care of your things. And, uh, but it's also work to do that as well. So we thank you for that. But I hope you have a wonderful feast, you and your children. You know, one thing about children we can all appreciate is they never go around showing snapshots of their grandparents. <laughs> you know, this, uh, I heard this story of the, uh, an assembly that was, needed some funds. And so they asked the youth minister to come up with an idea of how to how to raise funds. And so he's, the next meeting that the worship service that they had, well, he just told everybody to stand up and turn around and face the back and then reach out and grab your wallet out of your, the guy in front of you's pocket and give like you've always wanted to. You know, it says in the 118th Psalm that Keith read this morning was a perfect example of this also. But in Jeremiah 31, it speaks of the fact that Yahweh has loved you with an everlasting love. And so I want each and every one of you to take that to heart and understand that he actually loves, you know, with all of our... He don't love our blemishes, but he recognizes. In one place he says he understands that we are but clay. And so he understands that we have struggles, that sometimes we have hardships. And our feast theme this year is glad songs of victory in the tents of the righteous. From Psalm 81 and 3, it says, blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon on our feast days. It says our feast days, you know, and we, he's read also earlier that about the fact that Yahweh has appointed days, our feast days. 
And his feast days should be the very same ones. And so we should take ownership of that and be willing to come on his appointed times and his appointed days. Psalm 55 says, we took sweet counsel together and walked into the house of Yahweh in company. Psalms 22 and 25, from, from thee comes my praise in the great congregation. Psalms 111, praise Yahweh. I will give thanks to Yahweh with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Psalms 42, these things I remembered as I poured out my soul, how I went with the throng and led them in possession to the house of Yahweh with glad shouts and songs of thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. So again, glad songs of victory. I heard some of them this morning. Wonderful songs that we could enjoy and be part of the worship. And by the way, Jose, I so much appreciate what you had to say this morning. It was excellent. And uh, it, there is so many different ways to worship. You know, sometimes we are in a, in a situation that Singing and, and praising loudly is not the way to worship. Other times, that is exactly the way to worship. So I so much enjoyed what you had to say this morning. Uh, let's turn and read from Leviticus, the 23rd chapter, just a short part there. We'll begin with 39. Twenty-three and thirty-nine. On the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the produce of the land, you shall keep the feast of Yahweh's seven days. On the first day shall be a solemn rest, and on the eighth day shall be a solemn rest. And you shall take on the first day the fruit of goodly trees, branches of palm trees, and boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook. And you shall rejoice before Yahweh, your mighty one, seven days. You shall keep it as a feast to Yahweh seven days in, in the year. It is the statute forever throughout your generations. You shall keep it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All their native in Israel shall dwell in booths. That your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am Yahweh, your Elohim. Thus, Moses declared to the people of Israel the appointed feast of Yahweh. And if you look in the very first verse of this chapter, it said, Yahweh said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, the appointed feast of Yahweh, which you shall proclaim as holy convocations, my feast are these. And he goes on, to list all of them, not only this particular day, but all of them. And so it would appear that if we believe that Yahweh created us and that he made this creation for us to live on and subdue it, as he said, then it would stand to reason that he, has a, he had the right to give us certain things that we should do and not do. And one of the things that he instructs us to do three times in that one chapter, if, you'll, if you go back and read and notice, he tells us, these are my appointed days. And so let's remember that 
And, uh, and also, did you notice in the command, Yahweh said for us to rejoice. We are to have a wonderful time. This should be the time of celebration at Yahweh's appointed times, his set apart times. You know, there are 542 references to joy or rejoicing in the Bible. And I will be frank, I didn't count them myself, but I read some guy that I thought he would tell me the truth, and that's what he said. <laughs> and so if that's wrong, we'll come back and explain it to me later. But Proverbs says, the lips of the righteous know what is acceptable. And so we should be careful when we give praise or when we think about our Heavenly Father that we give him the correct uh, respect and the acknowledgement of who he is. And we should be very careful so that we would be like this says, that we would know what is acceptable and what is not. So one of the things that we need to do is be sure we have and we come before our Heavenly Father with the right attitude, with the right thoughts in our mind. And uh, how do we approach Yahweh and how do we approach our service to Yahweh? You know, Yahshua came to bring a message of joy to the world. And to a large degree, the world has ignored it in this since that time. And that's a sadness. You know, in the Acts 27, it says, I exhort you to be of good cheer. But just think about the, the actual, when Messiah came, he brought a wonderful message of joy. And I'll read in Luke in a little bit that Yahweh and the angel well, he sent his angel, and he declared that I tell you a great joy. Or in Jerusalem, or in Bethlehem, actually, a child is born that will be someone that can take away your sin. You know, Ilya West, he said it like this, revival will come when the churches begin laughing and singing and loving each other. It will come when believers are filled with the joy of his salvation as they wait for his soon return. And I think that's an excellent way to say it, that uh, as we wait for his return, we should be the kind of people that enjoy life, that are fun to be around, and very sincere and very, uh, very thought-provoking in our worship to our Heavenly Father. I had, uh, let's, let's read in Psalms just a couple of things about joy and about rejoicing. Uh, Psalm 16, we'll start there. 16 and 11, let's read that. Let us show me the path of life. In thy presence there is fullness of joy. In thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. And if you notice, it says in the right hand are pleasures forevermore. Maybe that could be a thought of the coming kingdom. You know, that is the only way we'd have pleasures forevermore is if we're in that kingdom that lasts forever. Psalms 20 and 4. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your victory 
and in the name of our Elohim set up our banners. In another place, it speaks of the Sabbath as being a banner. And so, may we shout for joy over your victory. Second Corinthians 13, it talks about examining ourselves to see whether we're holding to the faith. And then he says, test yourself. And he, he you know, sometimes that's not, it's not pretty to test ourselves and look at ourselves as we should. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 10. He's talking about a lot of things here. But it will be at the end time. But the day of Yahweh will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a loud noise, and the elements will be dissolved with fire. And the earth and the works that are upon it will be burned up. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of persons ought you to be in our lives of holiness and righteousness? waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of Yahweh. And he goes on, describes what will happen there. But he asked this question, what sort of persons should we be when this begins to happen? And so that we are counted worthy. If that's his point, as you go on down and read it. But that is the question that he asked, what sort of people should we be? And uh, I would ask you a question. Do you consider yourself a joyful person or a happy person? Or do you consider yourself a moody, unhappy person? I mean, each one of us probably have a different idea than somebody sitting next to us. But, you know, uh, Dennis Prager had, has... Uh, Every Friday, uh, one hour, he has a talk show, but one hour of that segment is called the happy hour. Not can be confused of most happy hours that you hear about. <laughs> and he says that the problem, he actually wrote a book, Happiness is a Serious Problem. And he uh, has, and he said that when he first began to explore this, he he didn't really understand how important that that actually is. But he said, every one of us have a choice. We are in charge of the way we think, how our attitude towards others are. And he says that happy people make the world a better place. He also says unhappy people make the world a worse place. So think about that as you digest what he says. He points out that the Nazis, the communists, Islamists, they seem to be unhappy people and have made the world a much worse place. You know, who, who wants to just blow themselves up so they can kill others? Unhappy people, I'm pretty sure. You know, in the won't ads of a newspaper, there was an ad that said, wedding dress never worn will trade for a 38 caliber pistol. <laughs> so she might have been an unhappy person. <laughs> but 
But he goes on to say that being happy is a character trait. I never thought of it like that, that it was actually a character trait that, that we can become, we can be. You know, there's some people that you know is going to be a problem when you talk to them. Even on the smallest scale, they're going to be a problem. And there's other people that always seem to be able to go with the flow and, and be a person that's, that's easy to deal with. And I'm not saying that we just want to just lay down on every circumstance, but the, you understand what I'm saying. There's a difference in being someone that's happy and someone that's unhappy or moody or miserable. He also says that happiness is a moral achievement. He also says that happiness is a moral obligation. You know, if we're not happy with the life that we have, of course, we can change a lot of things that make things better in your own life. Many times we're a subject of our own default. But one of the things that we, we have to be the one responsible for ourselves. You know, we're a sum total of all the decisions that we've made to this point. Who you are, how you think, how you are perceived is a function of who all the decisions that you've made to this very day. Now, as you go forward, you can change and make that appear a little different. You know, maybe you, are, you like where you're going and how you are and those things. Maybe you don't. Uh, you know, maybe somebody else would tell you, be frank with you and say, hey, you should work on this or that or the other thing. You know, sometimes people have told me things like that and I didn't fully appreciate it. <laughs> but you know that many times we should listen when people offer us good advice. You know, one of the things that is so important that he pointed out was that you owe it to the people around you to be a happy person. You owe it to your spouse, your children, your parents, anyone that is around you, you owe it to them as an obligation to be a happy person. And if you wait until you feel happy, you will rarely achieve happy. Because that's not a, just a normal thing. You just wake up and say, man, I'm happy. You have, to be, you have to live a certain lifestyle to be happy and a certain way of thinking to be happy. Or to be joyful or to rejoice even. And you have to decide that I want to be this way. You know, the very notion of acting happy will bring a better mood to any situation. Sometimes you don't feel all that happy, but if you act happy, somebody might not even notice that you didn't. You're not really happy. You might just fool somebody. And they think, man, that guy's always happy. But I've noticed that if you are that way, it even changes your own mood sometimes. And the people around you are, they'll think you're happy even if you're not. You know, this is one of the things that our founding fathers put into the Constitution. We have the right of the pursuit of happiness. And that was such wise wordings that they said. They didn't say that you have the right to happiness. They said you had the right to pursue happiness, which is a huge difference. And we have to do that pursuing on our own. It's not something that 
we can legislate into being. You know, looking back as a father, I wish that I had been a more pleasant dad in many situations. I guess you could say I was pretty miserable sometimes. I'm sure my family could say that. And my kids could certainly say that. But you can learn from me and you can be someone that I wasn't. And you can, you can be a, a more pleasant, more happy parent. And Abe Lincoln said that you are exactly as happy as you decide to be. And that is exactly the truth. We are exactly as happy as we decide to be. I got some wisdom from Dave Barnett yesterday, and he was telling me, he just came up out, he didn't know I was working on being happy. But he came up and he, had, he gave me this instruction just out of the blue, so I thought I'd put it in. And he can give you a very better, so talk with him. He can, he can fill in the corners that I'm missing. But uh, he's, he said there's three things to making a happy person. The person who gives to others, either their money or time, is one of the key ingredients. And two, he said to be thankful for what you have with a grateful heart. You cannot be happy without those things. And he also said that three, you must know Yahweh and worship him. And be a man of faith to be happy. And uh, I might also point out that there is no achievement in being unhappy. You know, that's not really a great thing. You know, I said, man, I think if I, when I grow up, I want to be unhappy. <laughs> that's not an achievement that we normally put high on a pedestal. Someone said also, if we don't learn to control our nature, our nature will control us. That's what's wrong with our world today. There's so many people that have not learned how to control themselves. And so their basic, un, you know, basic blemished nature is right there for everyone to see. Something else that, uh, I'll give you one last thought here. The miserable, moody person has not had life any harder or more pain-filled than the happy person has. It's all on how that you approach life. And there's some that approach life and they feel like that they're abused and terribly mistreated at every step. And normally they're not happy. They're not thankful and they're not grateful. So according to Dave's premise, well, they couldn't be happy. But those around us, I have an older sister that's she's always very calm and very happy. And so she's been a blessing in my life. And I hope that you have people like that in your life as well. Let's read from Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. It says, Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent children of Yahweh without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Messiah I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. So do all things without grumbling and without questioning. 
Also, Galatians 5 and 22. I won't turn and read that, but it gives the fruits of the Spirit. Oh, man, we're so close. Let's just turn over and read it anyway. Uh, 5 and 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. So I guess what he's saying is there's, there's no law against being happy. So we should, at the, and there's always going to be times and places when it's not, nothing is happy, nothing is good. You know, Solomon writes about those different times in our life when there's a time for this, a time for that, time to grieve, a time to rejoice, all these things. But as a general rule, how do we live our life? That's something we should think about. Ecclesiastes, Solomon wrote, to the person who pleases him, Yahweh gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. You know, those uh, 40 years campers did not please Yahweh. Those guys that camped out in the wilderness, they, they were pretty good at grumbling. And they didn't mind making their thoughts understood and heard in the camp. And so, you know, and let's, know, let's, let's read in Psalms 95. It's a wonderful psalm to begin with, but it has... Some interesting comments there at the end. I'll just read the, the first part as well. Oh, come, let us sing to Yahweh. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For Yahweh is a great creator and a great king above all else. In his hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, for his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before Yahweh our maker. For he is our Elohim, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. O that today that you would listen to his voice. Now, notice very particularly this next part. Harden not your hearts, as at Meribah, as on the day of Massa. In the wilderness, when your fathers tested and put me to the test, though they had seen my work, for 40 years I loathed that generation and said that they are people who err in heart and they do not regard my ways. Therefore, I swore in my anger that they should not enter my rest. You know, Hebrews, the fourth chapter, I believe it is, talks about this again. He was very upset with these people that he had rescued from bondage and then how that they did not believe him and did not honor him and did not uh, give him the full, the full benefit of speaking true good words to the creator of all things. Psalms 144 says, Happy are the people whose El is Yahweh. Of course, you've heard this from Philippians. Rejoice in Yahweh always. And again, I say rejoice. You know, speaking of joy, I'd like to read one of the great joys that has been brought to this earth. Let's read in Luke, the second chapter. We'll begin 
with verse 2. Maybe it's verse 10. Begin with verse 8. And in that region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of Yahweh appeared to them, and the glory of Yahweh shone around them. And they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Be not afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy, which shall come to all the people. For you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah. And this will be a sign for you, and you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising Yahweh and saying, Glory to Yahweh in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. And I've read this many times, but suddenly verse 13 came out and was something that I had not ever noticed quite like I did. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising Yahweh and saying, and it goes on what it said, a heavenly host. You know, L.P. Jack, he says, our religion is the most encouraging, the most joyous, the least repressive of all the religions of the world. While it has its sorrows and stern disciplines, the end of it is a resurrection, not a burial, a festival, not a funeral. And Arthur Gossip, he says, the New Testament is the happiest thing in literature with the sound of singing, with the sound of singing in it everywhere, opening with the chorus of angels over Bethlehem and, clothing, and closing with the hallelujah chorus closing out revelations and introducing the kingdom of Yahweh. And I find that to be quite true. You know, 2 Timothy 4 and 7 says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which Yahweh, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So Paul was speaking of himself and that he had fought a good fight. And, and he was, he, was at, he, he understood where he was in life, that he didn't have a lot more time on this earth. And so he was, he was saying, but not only me, he says, but to also to all who have loved his appearing. All of us that's looking forward to his coming, we have that opportunity to be given that same reward. And so I was going to go through a little scenario here about as I walked through a graveyard one day. But I'd like to tell you about another person before I do that, and his name was Odd Smith. His name was Odd Smith. And his parents named him Odd, and he hated that name. All of his life, he hated this name. And he, but he married and lived a successful life, a full life. And as he became old and expected to die, he told his wife that he did not want Odd put on his tombstone. He just wanted Smith the date that he was born, the date that he died, and then 
is Smith. And even today, when people walk through the graveyard and they go by that gravestone, they'll say, that's odd. (laughs) (laughs) But I, I did walk through a cemetery you know, I've walked through several cemeteries, actually, but uh, I was thinking about something one day, and, I, and uh, I was looking at some of the dates. You know, sometimes you find a child that only lived for a short time. And then on another tombstone, you might find someone who had a very long life, 1891 to 1983. And then I came across one gravestone, and his, his name was John Sherman. It was the only thing there except for the date 1910 to 1954. So he was 44 years old, approximately. But there was no other information that I could garner from this tombstone. So you begin to wonder, you begin to think about it. Was he married? Was he a good-looking guy? Did he have a beard? Did he have any children? Was he a good husband? Was he a good dad? What kind of work did he do? How and why did he die so young at the age of 44? Did he laugh a lot? Was he a happy guy? So as you walk through these questions, you realize that now none of this actually matters. None of that matters. The only thing that matters, did he believe in Yahweh and did he accept his son as his Messiah? And how was his walk with Yahweh? You know, while I was there at this gravesite, This man that was buried there cannot change his destiny at all. He is, and his life is what it is. In Revelations 20 and 12, it says, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Also, another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, by what they had done. So I have to believe then that John Sherman will be judged by what is written in that book of life. And you and I also will be judged by what is written in that book as well. We have the very same problem that John Sherman has. You know, Wendell gave a great illustration on atonement. So imagine that they're reading the record of your life. He went through this, that what's in that book is what you're going to be judged by. But just think of yourself. Take this upon yourself. 
Imagine that the, you are standing there and they're reading the record of your life. I see here in 1998 that you sold a car to Mr. Brown and you knew the transmission was bad and you never spoke up or told him about it. 2001, you were stealing copper out of buildings. 2002, looks like that you cheated on your wife. 2003, 2004, five, six, seven. 2020, you were baptized and had a conversion of heart and you accepted Yahshua as your Messiah. And from then on, you lived a believing life, a changed life, a life sanctified, a life dedicated to Torah and to Messiah and to our Heavenly Father. So you're standing there and you're waiting for the verdict. <clears throat> you remember all the terrible and bad things that you've done. And then you hear the verdict. It's from Romans 8 and 1. It says, There is now, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Messiah Yeshua. Imagine the joy, the rejoicing, the celebration and the victory. Glad songs of victory in the tents of the righteous. Every one of us are alone in this particular way. You may be sitting with somebody. but they can't help you because you're alone. Paul in the writings to the Philippians said, work out your own salvation with fear and with trembling. You know, your parents can't help you. Your friends can't help you. Neither can your wife or your husband. Each one of us is responsible for how we conduct ourselves. And we will stand alone when we stand before the highest court in the land and give an account of how we spend our life. Will we have a great high priest to come forward and say, well done good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Or will he say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. As I said, we are alone in that moment. It is us. You know, our family many times are kind of who we are but in this particular instance your family will not be who you are you 
will be who you are. Revelations 12 and 1 says, Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. For our last reading, let's read from uh, the book that ends all the books in Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from Yahweh. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Have you ever seen a, a bride when she's coming on her wedding day? Every hair in place. Her makeup's perfect. She's beautiful. She's the envy of everyone in the room. That's how this kingdom will be brought to the, to the, new, to the new earth. It will be as a bride prepared and adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling of Yahweh is with men. He will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And Yahweh himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And you know, at that point in time, that is when truly we will have victory in the tents of the righteous. Thank you for your time.